Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Dialcast, hosted by myself, Ash. Every week we'll be bringing you all the latest and exclusive news from Dial Square Football Club, run by the fans, for the fans. We'll also be providing you exclusive interviews with the board players and fans to keep you entertained every week with all things relating to Dial Square Football Club. Right, so what have I got in store for you all for our first episode? So, well, I'm delighted to announce that I've been kindly joined on the show by the new managerial team of Andy Massiel and Paul Jones. That's right, ladies and gents, we're going to start with the gaffers. It's going to start with you, Andy. How have you been lately? And, and yourself, Paul? How's been last been treating you as well? Hi, Ash. Um, yeah, thanks for having us on. Um, it's quite exciting actually being um, on the first one for the club. Um, yeah, it's, we've been all right. But it's obviously frustrating, the lockdown, like it is for everyone else. But uh, I have to admit, this one's been harder than the last one. It's just very frustrating not being able to be out there, you know, with the players. Yeah, definitely. It's a, a, a lot of people have been saying it. Um, it's, it's been a lot harder than the first one. Yeah, I can. I, I totally get your point, mate. Paul, how are you? How are you? How's life been treating you as well? Yeah, I'm good. It's, it's, it's good to be doing something like this and almost feeling like we're back at football. Um, this is the best we can get at the moment, talking about it. So, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good to be on and good to be starting a journey with Dow Square. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's great to have you on, guys. Um, all right, let's crack on the, the show then, gents. Our chairman, Stuart Morgan, has prepared a few questions for yourselves, you know, just for a little Q&A. And I've thrown a few in as well for good measure. Uh, no pressure, lads, honestly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> first question, I, I'll start with you, Andy. Um, could you give the fans just a little bit of background about yourself in regards to your coaching career in football, mate? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, basically, like a lot of other people, I started off playing as, as, a, as a boy. Loved it. Played it every minute I could. Um Georgie Best was my hero, so he inspired me. Um, and I wanted to be like him every every which way. So nearest I got to him was probably drinking, but I couldn't play as well as him, unfortunately. Um, and then as I as I grew up, I had a chance, um, a couple of chances to, to break into to the pro. Uh, didn't quite work. And then semi-pro, I could have played, but because of my football career wasn't panning out. Um, I, I then made a career in the fashion industry. I went into the rag trade. Uh, because I love my, my clothes, my clobbers. So uh, I spent a lot of time there, carried on playing, um, enjoying it, obviously, playing recreational, but with, with my mates. Um, and then I had a, a spell out, Ash, to be honest, um, because of work and one thing and another. Um, then I, I, I managed um, for a couple of seasons, really enjoyed it, and then had a, had a spell out. And it wasn't until I was at a cup final, county cup final, watching some, some old pals of mine because they were playing at, at Leatherhead, which is near me, um, that they couldn't believe that I wasn't I wasn't playing. So they got me out and got me fit again. And I played for a couple more seasons and really enjoyed it. And then uh, injury um, put, put, put an end to that, really. Um, and then after a spell out, my son was born. Uh, and it wasn't really to be honest until he was about six when he wanted to, you know, I wanted him to to join a club, and I took him to a local club, watched for a few weeks, um, and you know the guys, the guy doing it was trying his hardest, bless his heart, and um, I heard a lot of belly aching on the line and everything from parents, and I sort of said, listen, you know, why don't we try and help the guy instead of having a moan up because. If it weren't for him, our boys wouldn't have a chance to play. So I just approached him and said, look, you know, I've played a bit and everything. If you want a hand, I, I don't mind. And to be honest, that was really the start of it because I took a session the following week and that was it. They all sort of said, oh, can we just hand it over to you? Um, 
And at first I thought, well, did I bargain for this? But I've got to say, I absolutely loved it. Do you know what I mean? And it, uh, every weekend. And obviously it helped my son because, you know, I, I was sort of helping him get along and that. But then, um, unfortunately, we, we started doing well. And it was my first experience of, of parents going a bit crazy. You know, they were only young boys and they'd gone from not winning anything. And I got a bit of structure and they started winning. And then I just didn't like the, the hooting that was coming off of, from parents. And, and after sitting with them a couple of times and saying, listen, these are kids. I don't want to see them under pressure and crying and all that. Um, so, you know, you got to ease up and, and a couple of them didn't. So um, I, I sort of packed it in and took my son somewhere else uh, with my brother-in-law who had, who had stopped playing as well. Uh, and we just started helping a group of kids and really enjoying it. And then I got approached by someone and said, listen, we see you in a tracksuit every weekend. Um, we've got a club up the road here, but we need we need people to, to help if, you, if you're interested. So I took a walk down there and watched this group of players and it was like watching a like watching a pro club they were unbelievable um it really good that time i think they were only under 13 but they were a really special group um and i was a bit nervous so I, I said to the guys listen I, I can't follow that well you know I'm, I'm i'm only just sort of starting out i don't mind ha- helping and they said no no what it was they wanted to start a new squad um so i got involved and because i was keen i sort of got into the fa started doing the courses and everything and that's when it really kicked off because i found that i, I enjoyed the learning um, and parents and and things were saying, you know, why don't you why don't you do this a bit more? Um, and it was weird. I was doing my level two badge, and, and it was a, a week week course. I didn't pack lunch one day, and said to my little girl, well, she's not so little now, but at the time she was only about eight nine. And I said, listen, I've made your pack lunch. I tell mum not to worry about that. And she just looked at me and said, oh dad, when you're doing football, you're always really happy. Um, and it played on my mind all day. Ash, I just got came home, had me tea with my missus. I said, listen, this is what. Um, April, our daughter said this morning, does that mean I'm a miserable git? You know, when I ain't around football, she just laughed and said, no, but when you're with football, you're, you're, you are happy. Go, why don't you just do it? Um, and with their support, I took the plunge and I just I packed in my job and everything and, and cracked through the badges. It was hard, very hard at first because I was having to subsidise my study and I had to pay for everything and all that. But the work, coaching, you know, unless you're in a pro clubs and that, it's hard to make a living. But I made it. I made it work. You know, I put in some graft, um, and then got the company going, built a big soccer school. And you know, when you want to do something badly enough, what you know, whatever it is in life, you find a way of making it happen. And to be honest, the best thing I ever ever did. I was was been happy, Larry, ever since. And it's just grown and grown. Uh, I, I got a partner who um, who uh, luckily liked what I did and and, and has invested in me. Um, and that's how I met Paul. I was on a project at a local club and we looked to revamp the facilities and I knew there was funding available and stuff. So I went to the local FA and Paul was the development manager there. And that's how we met. He was, you know, um, assigned to me to help me with a project. Um, and it's a club that we do a hell of a lot at now. In fact, it's where hopefully Dasgore will be training as well. Um, and Paul was the development manager. So he worked closely with me we both got an innate love for futsal so we just hit it off um you know he as you'll hear in a minute he's from from manchester i've been up there met all his mates that they're like clones of all my mates down here it's all football football fantastic so we just had this affinity and then paul approached me he started coaching with us and he said listen i'm really fed up at the fa i'm not fulfilled i love what you do so 
I approached Jan, who's our partner and, and, and our investor, a great man. I said, listen, I need to get Paul on board. So he went, go for it then. So we relaunched in 2015 as we are now, go for goal and got different projects, clubs. We uh, St. Mary's University, we do all the coaching there. I've, uh, I've studied uh, mainly in, in Spain. I did a all education in, in England. And then I, I, I love possession, position football. Um, an opening came up in Spain. I visited out there, fell in love with it. We then ended up partnering um, people over there. It's the biggest football centre in Spain outside of Barca's and, and Real Madrid's training ground. So we've got, you know, big connections there. Like they're almost our second family. Um, and that's really, really it. And that's where we are now. So that's that's what a coach also studied with a Dutch guy called Raymond Verheeren, who's got um, a, a, a big organisation called the Football Coaches um, Evolution, uh, one of the world's leading coaches. Um, and our mentor and our partner now is a guy called Albert Capellas, um, who's another top, top uh, world-renowned coach. He was uh, he ran La Masai at Barca for 10 years, ran the B-side, worked for Dortmund, currently down the Danish under-21s coach. Um, and he's just launched a, a, a platform called Possession Football, which is now in partnership with uh, Croy Football. Um, and that's basically the methodology and model that we work to. Um, and that's it, really. That's it in a, in a, in a wrap, if you like. What an, what an amazing journey and story. So off the back of getting injured, you know, and your son playing, you've, you know, and you got into coaching off, off the back of people, you know, unfairly shouting, uh, shouting on the sidelines and that was during kids football. And then, you, you know, you took it upon yourself to help out and, it's just escalated from there. What a story, mate. Honestly, yeah. that's uh, yeah, honestly well defended. Well, that's why I encourage people. I say, listen, if, you know, even on my own children, I, I, I didn't push them. I said, find out what you want to do and, and follow that. Because, you know, my, my son now lives in Munich. Uh, he, he He's kind of like a, a football journalist, if you like. He works with Bayern Munich and a lot of clubs out there. Um, he's travelled the world. He's, he's he's still young. He's twenty eight, but I, he said to me, "You always give me the freedom." I said, "Definitely find out what you want to do." And and the young coaches we've got with us now, I say to him, "Listen, I should have done it." And there's a Chinese proverb that says, "The best time to uh, plant a tree was twenty years ago. The next best time is now." So don't regret because you can always start. Um, and and it's the best thing I ever did. Honestly, money's one thing, but to do something that you absolutely love, um, you know, I, I made that I made that happen, and I'm so grateful for it. But you know, I had the support of my missus and my kids and, and and my closest friends. They they sort of egged me on and and backed me, so it was great. And and listen, yeah. it, it isn't finished, and and things like this, dials where you know doors like this open and opportunities come up, and that's the wonderful thing about football. You know, it can really be frustrating and it can really give you a headache, obviously, but. And then it can give you the biggest highs as well. And that's why we love the game. Definitely, 100%, mate. What about yourself, Paul? A bit, a bit of background about yourself and, and how you got into coaching. And, and did you play as well as a, as a youngster to, at any level? Yeah, we, we, we always do this. We always let Andy go first when we introduce ourselves to people. And he, he, he comes out with the full inspiring story and then I have to follow it. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, I was, I was similar. I played and played and played all the way through youth and everything up in Manchester um, and then an opportunity came about when I was um, 16 I went off to college I, I, you know like every young boy thought I was going to go and play 
pro, but that never happened. And then I got an opportunity to go away to a, a football college, which was before all of these colleges now where you do the BTEC football and everything else like that. And it was it was linked to quite a few clubs and it just meant that we could train all day, every day, and, and while doing some studying as well. And I did a I did a sports coaching course, a football coaching course while I was there um, playing. And that's what got me into the coaching, really. Um, but it started off all voluntary. So what, while you was there, you, you know, you had a choice. You could go and work in JD Sports or whatever it was, or you could just go out there and start doing a bit of coaching. And I, I managed, me and a couple of mates managed to get in with a local authority. Um, and that's where I met probably one of the most inspiring people I've ever met, um, Steve Daly, who was the partially sighted England captain at the time. And, I mean, he went on to be the most capped England player. Um, he was awarded um, an MBE last year. Just an incredible guy. But he introduced me to futsal because, obviously, their version... Um, but partially sighted, their their football is futsal because um, of the reduced bounce ball and being able to see it when it's on the floor. So he got me into playing that um, and he got us some work. And the first work we did was out on the estates in Preston. Um, and it was just such a such a brilliant job to do. You know, we weren't getting paid a penny for it, but we were going to all the estates in Preston and with a bag of footballs, um, me and a mate and gathering as many kids as we could that otherwise would be causing trouble and and that was the reason why we were going on there so we'd go on there with a bag of footballs and just do some football with them and you know the, the kind of street football that you see in the cages now and everything at its rawest form that's what we were going on and, and delivering and it was just really fulfilling so that kind of went on from that to another one to a bit more of a kind of a role within within sports development and stuff like that yeah. and then I'd um I'd met my missus and she was she was from down here, which is why I ended up making the journey um, down south. And I got an opportunity with Brentford, doing something similar. So still on the estates in and around, in and around West London, um, doing that. And then the opportunity came up at the FA. And ironically, in all of the coaching that I've done, it was when I got to the FA that I stopped coaching because it was more of a, um, it was more of a development role. And I wasn't doing any coaching at all. And I missed it. I missed it a lot. But because of the work and everything, you didn't really feel that I was missing it. And like Andy said, I, I met up with him working on a separate project, which was facilities, and liked his coaching, liked his coaching setup that he had and everything else like that, and asked if I could come and get involved. So they were going away. They were going to Bromby in, in Denmark, where Jan owns the club in in Denmark and they were going away for a tournament. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go on the actual trip itself, but I did a bit of the training of the boys before they went off. And I remember, I remember standing at, at Tolworth train station, looking over to goals where they were doing the training and I froze on the platform and I was panicking about actually going back out there and, and coaching again. Cause I'd, I felt like I'd gone stale, but once you get back into it and you see the boys and you know, the coaching team that Andy had at the time and everything, so welcoming. I, I just knew that that's what I had to get back into properly rather than sitting behind a desk and pushing a pen around and ticking boxes, which was what I ended up doing. Um, I just wanted to get back out there on the pitch and that's what that's what we did. Um, yeah. So five, five years ago, back out there, um, had some great times with the university, with St Mary's, 
you know, it's men's football and you can treat it a little bit differently. And we had some great success winning the double with them. Um, then an opportunity came up with the Welsh futsal national team. So I went and, and did a bit of work with them as the assistant head coach um, and, you know, travelled a bit with that. It's got went to some great places and some, some good successes there with, with those guys with a whole different experience on that. And then we found ourselves here um, at the start of a new project, which is, which is just brilliant, blank canvas project and can't wait to get stuck in. And actually, do some coaching again. That's what we're missing the most. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that story as well, Paul. That's another fantastic story. It's going to touch on back on what you said about, um, you know, taking the kids uh, on the estates and stuff like that. Uh, you, you, you hear of many footballers that say that they're, they're, they're happiest when they were kicking a ball around on their estates and on the street. That's when I was the happiest playing as a kid. Mm. You know, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd love to go and volunteer and do something like that myself because it would bring me back to my childhood. And it's, it, as you said, it's a rawest um, form of football, you know. It's just so enjoyable. There's no pressure or anything like that. Yeah, well, well fair play to you for doing that and um, keeping the kids out of uh, mischief, put it that way. Um, Andy, so you, as you said, you, you both run a coaching programme away from the club called Go, Go, uh, sorry, Go for Goal. Yes. And we see that one of your players you've coached has signed professional terms with Brentford. How do you implement that quality through your coaching and how do you teach that standard? And well, what can, we, can we expect the same result at Dial Square? Well, Hopefully, definitely. Um, I mean, that's a great story, to, to, to be honest, Ryan. Uh, watched him play funny enough last week. He played Wickham and, and he got a bad, bit, bit of a bad knock, unfortunately. He's out for a few weeks. But, you know, that, that story is, is kind of... Um, is, is a great illustration and a great reward, uh, I would say, for, for what we've done. We've coached Ryan now since he was under 10. Um, and... It, it's it's been a, a, a journey because his dad was the manager of the side. He's, he's one of our closest friends now, um, but they trusted basically. He, you know, uh, the, Neil, who's Ryan's dad, trusted us. He, he asked me to coach the boys, um, and he just believed in what we were doing. And, and you know, if I suggested something like, for instance, futsal, that the boys had never played futsal, and I've, I'm a huge advocate of it. Um, you know, a lot of the top players in the world are, are, are brought up on futsal, but unfortunately, we're we're catching up in England, but we're still on a very far, a very fair distance behind the rest of the world. And um, you know, when people like Xavi say you can tell an intelligent player when he plays futsal, you know, that's that's a kind of um, esteem futsal's held in. So with these boys, things like that, you know, they were eleven, I think, and I suggested they started playing futsal, and um, which they did, and and it it was so obvious that it, in, it, you know, it enhanced their development um, in in the in the 11 v 11 game or 9 v 9 as they were at the time at 11. Um, so, you know, we did loads of things with them and and Spain, you know, I think they went out to Spain five times. I mean, as well as Ryan out of that one squad, Ryan's uh, brilliant because he hasn't been in an academy, got signed anywhere else. He's had little little trial goes where he, didn't, he wasn't quite successful, but he actually said that He's happy that it worked out the way it did because he stayed with us. So there was there was no conflict on coaching because what can happen with education? You can you can go to loads of different places and players can get confused. So it was purely contact with us in our philosophy and how we did it and how we played. Um, and when we went to Spain, you know the best thing that they said to us out there, those boys were, Paul, you'll have to correct me on this, mate, because I'm getting old. I think they were about thirteen. And we took a squad out to play futsal and we beat Espanyol, we beat um, Nastique, Gymnastique, the oldest club in Catalonia. They couldn't believe it. And the best compliment they gave us was, 
the coaches there said, these boys won't play like English. And I said to him, thanks, you've just given me the best compliment I could have had. Um, and now Ryan's goalkeeper colleague, he's just signing out in Spain because we got the partnership out there. Uh, another one of Ryan's colleagues is about to sign in Portugal. Um, another lad's out in Denmark. Um, and then two boys signed first team for Woking from that squad. And a few of them, the Met Police, hopefully that they're, they're going to push on into the, the first team there. So between six, seven of them out of one squad and, and we've got another boy um, in the 18s at Leatherhead who's with Ryan who's, who's being looked at now as well. So it's a nice success story from from a, a product of coaching. That's the only way I can put it. You know, those boys, the contact time we had with them, it was regular. It was, therefore, you can build what we call a communication. What In, in my studies, I studied with Raymond Verherin and, and, you know, he's got what, what he calls the universal football language and that's what we work to. Um, and communication is based on four things, communication, decision-making, execution, and then fitness is a, is the final element of that. But communication is, is basically what you, here you would say is understanding. So the more teams are together, you know, you watch games now, you, can't, you hear the commentary saying, oh, you know, they've had to rotate and therefore that understanding's gone. Well, that group we had was exactly a product of that because every day we were together, um, tournaments, you know, we took them to Denmark. We we, uh, we we came second in a fantastic tournament there. All pros, um, academy players, uh, Belgium. We, we we came runners up in a final, lost on a penalty shootout. They wouldn't believe that we weren't pro players. They thought we were lying, but we were the only non non pro team in there. Um, and it's just it is if you can do that, if you can stay, with and they trust what you're doing, and you trust them, then you can develop, and and that's that's the best thing. I mean, the the, the compliment. Brentford gave us on Ryan from his first day was brilliant because they said, you know, we can't work out how you weren't signed anywhere else, but your development is fantastic. And he's hit the ground running there, really, as they're really impressed with him. Um, so it's nice. But along with that, you know, it's not just the coaching. We, we set out, Ash, to, to try and give our players as near as um, an experience and support that they would get in a pro club. So uh, Paul and I also... Uh, qualified, certified coaches in in a concept called Red to Blue. Um, I don't know if you if you've ever read a book or heard of a book called Legacy about the All Blacks. Um, uh, but if you have, no. if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's, it's it's one of my main reference books now. The author's called James Kerr. Um, it's a it's a complete dialogue or a documentary, if you like, on on the All Blacks. Fascinating book. Um, and I I came across. Uh, this concept on on a course years ago um, online, and, and I really was interested in this in in the story of these these guys. This concept, Red to Blue. So I, I just contacted the the CEO. I threw a line out, um, and I'm glad to say that we've become really good friends. And and he he showed us the concept, um, did a workshop for our staff for our players. Um, and then Paul and I loved it so much that so we went and did it. And, and Ryan, who's at Brentford, he said without that, he probably wouldn't have made it. Uh, that's the impact it's had. So basically, it's a concept that helps players or people perform under pressure. Um, you know, so it's, it's I, I don't, if I'm honest, I don't really like talking about mindset and, and the mental side of things because for us, the brain's just one part of the body. It's exactly part of the body. And it, rather than being detached, it should be treated as one. Um, so we give that aspect as well. Then we've got a, a great strength and conditioning coach, which is another good story. Cam 
In fact, I'm trying to I'm trying to get him down to play for Dar Square. He's an ex-player of mine. Um, I coached him as a youth player at Carl Shorten. Um, I had Carl Shorten Athletics under 18s uh, many years ago. Great group of boys. Cam went on to study and and, and uh, built has built a fantastic reputation as as a strength conditioning coach. Uh, works with a few Premier League players, um, and he's our preferred guy. So you know any of our fitness training and that and advice stuff. Cam does that for us. If we send players for rehab from injury and stuff, he he does them. He also works with quite a few top boxers um, um, as well. So, and then on top of that, we've got nutritionists, and then we've got a great uh, injury therapist, uh, Steve Allen, who was Wimbledon's physio for many years. Um, he's come out of the pro game now. He got a long service award from the FA last year. Um, he's he's steeped in knowledge on on that score as well as being a, a very good coach as well. So what we set out to do is just build these partnerships with you know, experts in, in all the fields so that we can say to a player, look, we, we can give you the, the best of, you know, rather than just the grassroots here, we can we can offer everything to a player. That's what we set out to do. And, and, and now it's taken a few years, but we put that together. And then with the partnership in Spain, um, you know, I've, I've talked to Stuart about it. That, that We haven't ruled out taking the boys out there. They'll actually love it, the, the Darsquare team. I'm hoping that, you know, we can maybe get someone to support a trip out there and we do a bit of training and, and everything. Um, it's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, that's and, and Ryan, we haven't lost touch with him because he still wants me to do one-to-ones with him and, and red to blue and stuff. So we'll watch his journey quite closely. Um, yeah. That's an amazing. I know most of us in life, you know, search for job satisfaction all our lives. And uh, just by hearing you there, it's it's like you found your, you know, you found it. Um, bringing these players through, all the connections you've made. Another thing that I've learned as well, I never knew futsal had such a, an impact on on pro footballers. I, know, I just thought futsal was just this separate game that was, you know, obviously played indoors, and and that was that. I didn't I didn't realize that how it's implemented into into training so much and in, in, into development. So you've uh, you given me some knowledge there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, what are your what what are your thoughts on the club so far? What's, what's your standout at Dial Square? The, the main standout so far has just been the passion behind every single person that we spoke to that's connected with it. Um, obviously, that comes with it being fan-owned and the, the way that they want to do it is, is right. We was put in contact um, with Stuart by, by Dennis Healy, who's the chairman of, of Abbey Rangers, where they're playing their games at, who I've known for a, a good long time. Um, from when I've helped Abbey Rangers in the past with, with things, and he put me in contact with Stuart and said, his exact words were, I could have a perfect project for you. It could be very exciting. And we we so we had a call, phone call with Stuart, and even just a phone call with him, we were driving along, um, before Christmas, before we were all locked down, and me and Andrew were driving along in the car and talking to him, and you could just sense um, just how much he wants it to succeed. Um, and then he, he invited us to his house um, when we was actually allowed to do so, yeah. um, just to chat, to chat about the role and to chat about what it was all about. So this was on a Sunday. I'd left kind of halfway through the afternoon, thinking I'll be an hour, and four and a half hours later, we're still sitting in his living room talking football, talking about, you know, what his ideas are, what's worked so far, what's not worked so far and just the passion that came from him. Um, and then Friday, we managed to meet all but John, 
from from the current board, um, John, who was a guest of yours on 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 your show. And um, we've not quite managed to meet him, but we managed to meet the others via Zoom on Friday night. And none of it's quite the same as us all getting together and and, and being together. But even on the Zoom, you know, just just the bits that they're coming out with and um, and what they want to do with the club just hooks you. And and considering we've not even met a single player yet, we've not had a chance to get on the grass with any of them yet. We're so excited about the project just because of how much they use out um, their drive behind it and what they want to achieve from it. Yeah, and that's been that's been the standout so far. And you know, we see every, every day. I'm seeing new new fan owners pop up um, on on social media, and it's just great to see just just a bit of a wave getting behind it, um, all thinking about the same thing and wanting to achieve the same goal. It's quite unique, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, I got the you know, John Miller's passion was contagious for me. And I thought, you know, I've, you know, fan owned football, that, I'm, that's what I'm really into. And that's, and that's, that's how I got involved as well and uh, became a fan member. I thought that this is a project and a journey that I, I'd love to be on as well. And that's, you know, that's how I got involved. So yeah, it definitely is contagious. Uh, Stuart's got a, you know, real energy and passion for the club. You can really tell, um, uh, you know, Andy, what's the main ethos you want to instill at the club? Um, it's such such a hard one. As you, you know, what the the people talk about ethos and cultures and one thing and another. And the, and the, the funny thing is, if you go into somewhere and you actually ask people, what's what's what do you think of your culture? They actually don't know. But it's it's a bit like Brexit culture. Everyone knows about it, but then but they don't know about it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so it, <laughs> what I will say is, you know, just bolting on to what Paul said about Stuart and the board's passion. Okay, uh, that was one thing that drew us to it. Second thing was that uh, Dars wears a blank canvas, Ash, you know, and, and we can all start from, from scratch and we can embed uh, whatever, a culture that, that, that we all sort of want to want to abide by, if you like. And at the end of the day, um, you know, through my, my studies, um, I've I've been lucky enough to be tutored by some, some top, top people. And um, pre-Christmas, uh, there was a, a module actually on, on culture and, and building cultures and, and everything in within big organisations. And, you know, there's a guy called Alistair McCaw who, who works heavily in the States and, you know, with the NFL teams and stuff like that. Uh, and James Kerr, I mentioned Legacy. Uh, I, I managed to, to listen to him as well. And and what comes out of that, and, I, and I'm so glad that I did that because with Darsquare coming up, it, with the timing was brilliant. You know, at the end of the day, ethos is cultures that they're really about behaviour. So so it's really going to be about what are we about as Darsquare, and and how do we go about things? And we don't have to overcomplicate it. I think if we get if we get the simple things right, we get communication right, we trust each other. Um, we all work, you know, the old cliche, we'll pull on the same rope. But but it, it's as simple as that. You know, if, if we do that, um, then, then we're halfway halfway there. And, and it's not something that can be sort of instilled or embedded overnight. It's something that, you, you know, this is, you know, involve everybody as well, uh, rather than have like a top-down approach. Um, have a top, you know, we, we'll guide it from the top, but nurture it from the bottom. So everyone's got a bit of input because... You know, when you look at fan-owned clubs, um, I mean, you know, I, I over the lockdown the, during Christmas, I sat up and watched the whole of the Salford City thing. And I think, you know, obviously it's got the class of 92 behind it. But when when you 
when you look at that or or, or you look at FC United or or Berry that, that Paul will touch on, I'm sure shortly his hometown club, um, is is that is that passion that runs through, whether it's the tea lady, you know, if it's if, if it's the lady making the burgers or if it's the, the, the guy on the turnstile or if it's the groundsman. Um, and that's what that's what the what it's all about, you know, that football's got that magic of just connecting people. And if you get the right people involved that all want to go on that journey, uh, then then you're on to a win. And I think it's going to be really important uh, to get those those right people on board, you know, from the players right through to any staff that we, Paul and I, might hire. You know, obviously we've got a team of guys that, that have been with us a long time. Like, so we, we'll have coaches if we need them as extras, like our goalkeeping coach and stuff like that. But everyone... Is it's got to be, you know, on that on that rope as I say, pulling it, and players as well. You know, it, it's first of all we got to get players that are totally, you know, understand and buy into the to the project, um, and and are excited about about it. And then secondly, you know, it's it's you know what what just just saying, yeah, I like this. What can I do? There's going to be times where people have got to roll up their sleeves and, and muck in and do a little bit. Look, Stuart and his wife, for instance, you know, Stuart, they take the kit home every week and wash it. That's the chairman of the club. Okay, now, but but without people like that, things don't get done. So that that's, how can we muck in and, and, and do the, 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 the harder stuff as well, not just the glory stuff? And that's really it. It's the, the ethos. Culture for me will be sat all of us together saying, okay, how do we want to do this? And then, you know, plan it out and then implement it and stick to it and make a, make a, make people accountable. That's the thing, you know, what I've, what I've learned studying with these people is, is, um, is you've got to be accountable, but also be, be prepared to accept criticism. Paul and I have this within our company, our best mates. But if Paul has to pull me up on something, I don't take that as a as an insult. If I choose, if I if I say you've insulted me, it's me choosing to to take it like that. But if people can accept criticism, that's the way you improve. And and if if you need to be pulled up, you need to be pulled up. But there's ways of doing it. I'm not talking about steaming into people. I'm just saying it's so that's that's really where I'll be trying to head down whilst we talk to uh, Stuart and and the board and try and start implementing a structure, which we've already we've already touched on. You know, I've got things that I'm structuring with Paul on, on first of all our priority is the playing side uh, but our skill set that we bring um, is predominantly on the playing side but I, I think Stuart's probably spoken to you about it you know we, we have got a lot of experience in other areas Paul's experience with the FA mine with running academies and uh, and stuff like that you know youth setups and, and all that we bring a lot more than just managing a first team um, and, and I think together we, we can really you know, set something in place that 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 works. Um, so that's that's really it, mate. Yeah, definitely. Um, all those all those things you touched on there is 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 everything what football should be about. Um, everybody mucking in. You know, you saying about uh, Stuart taking the, the kits home and stuff like that. It's you know, it's it brings back that old romanticism about the game, in, in my opinion, and, and that's what that's why a lot of people are getting involved in this journey. That, that's what they want. It's yeah. you know. I, so, Paul, I mean, yeah, sorry, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm, sorry I'm, Andy, yeah, go on. It's just that you know, even John, when I listen to John on, on your podcast, I, I find Paul straight up the next day because I, I just was so 
you know, I hadn't, we haven't met John yet, as Paul said, but his enthusiasm came so much across in that. And yours, I've got to be, to be honest, it, it, you know, that podcast was brilliant. Um, and I phoned Paul up and I said, Paul, we've made the right decision. Like, you know, if we needed convincing, I said, that podcast has just convinced me. And Paul said, you know what, I was going to phone you and say exactly the same thing. Um, and it, it's, it is, it's a really exciting journey. Yeah, you know, all my family, all my, my, my wife's side of the family, all Arsenal fans, my daughter's an Arsenal fan. So, you know, they've already gone on today and, and bought their bit of ownership in it. Um, you know, I've been texting all the other Arsenal fans. So that's how much, you know, it's got into us. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I just wanted to, 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 to just, you know, bring that into, into the loop there as well. Um, sorry, mate, I interrupted you there. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for the compliment. I really appreciate it, uh, honestly. Um but Paul, the club has mentioned on the website that you guys are here for the long term. But what plans do you have to, you know, just for the short term to start with, from your perspective? Well, from our side of things, the first, you know, the first priority is getting on, getting on the pitch, getting on, getting on a pitch of some sort. Yeah, meeting the meeting the team. I mean, this this is this is how crazy it is. We've not even met. We've not met the players yet. You know, it's we've not we've not seen them train. We've seen little bits from the highlights that, that were available to us. Um so the first priority is getting is getting back out there, obviously when it's when it's safe to do so. And playing some football. Um who knows what's going to happen with the league. I can't imagine many league games being played between now and the end of the season. But what we do have the opportunity with is we've got the opportunity to have an elongated pre season now, if if you would, and get the preparation just right. For for hitting the ground running when when we do get started on and off the pitch, and it, I mean we can plan and plan and plan, but until we actually get out there and and cross the line, we, all the plans kind of mean nothing. So the first priority is getting back out there and seeing the boys and and seeing seeing what they're all about and hoping that they buy into what we want to do and 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 sussing that bit out first and then. And then getting some games played, whether that's in the league or whether that's us organising our own, but but that's priority number one. And then just working with the guys, working with the board on starting to set the stall out for for those bigger plans that we've got um, off the pitch. Which you, you know it's a bit strange, isn't it? To first team manager and assistant manager talking about off the pitch stuff, which normally you find a manager who doesn't want anything to do with that. They just want the balls and. They don't want to. They don't want to get involved. They just want the backing from the board. But our situation is a bit different, where you know we're, we're we're so into the project that that we want to help as much as we can off the pitch, as much as we can on it. Um, and if they can both go hand in hand, then you know we should be successful. So that's yeah. Priority one is getting on the pitch. Priority two is just setting those setting those plans in place ready for the longer term stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's imperative that, you know, players get back at that level, get back to playing soon. You know, it's, uh, everyone, everyone, us as fans are pulling our hair out, you know, <laughs> with no football to go and watch. But, you know, it must be, it must be even tougher for the players and that, you know, getting to a certain fitness level, then if things stopping, then it going again and stopping and then not knowing and not being kept in a loop when it's going to start again. It's must be an absolute nightmare for you all. So I really do hope that, that things change very quickly, so to speak, and, and you can get back out on the training pitch, meet the players and and see how everyone is. Um, talking about the players, Andy, uh, results and performances haven't been great so far this season for the club from 
from yeah. the few games the club did play. The board knows on what you plan to deliver, but but can you convey your message to the fans and indeed the players on how you're going to start the rebuild yeah, process on the playing it's front? Really, that's a hard one without a crystal ball, Ash, uh, because of the current situation. But Paul's touched on it there. The, 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 the weird sort of situation we're in is kind of, you know, making people adapt more than ever before. And, and all I can say is, you know, the intent, intention, as I touched on earlier on, is, is to just assemble a, a squad of players uh, that, that are fully behind, fully committed, because, you know, we could have some really great players. I've got, I've got one or two players that I know would come down, but they may not be the right fit because they may not be able to commit how we want them to commit, etc. Um, and the, the other thing is, is delivering, you know, there's a Dutch saying where they, that I was told, look, uh, be careful of, of trying to shoot a mosquito with a cannon. OK, so we, I've got, loads of coaching experience and knowledge and stuff like that. But I've got to look at the contact time that I have with players and you've got to prioritise, you know, what, what what is the most important thing with the contact time you've got. And also, as much as, you know, we want players uh, to, to commit X, we have to take into consideration the external factors. You know, lads have got to work. Can they get the training on that time? Can they make two sessions a week? You know, there's got to be a little bit, bit of give and, give and take um, but all I can say to, to the players is, look, as soon as we meet you, we want to we wanna get you out on the training ground. We're desperate to get you out on the training ground, um, give you a few sessions, you know, just to, to enjoy it. That's the first thing. I think everybody, you, you just said that it must be hard for the players. It is the hardest for the players. Um, it's hard for us, yes, but for the players, you know, they're, they're reaching to be out there. The players that we currently still work with, that we're doing virtual sessions with, that we're setting home-based sessions for because we know them, we know their fitness levels. I, I toyed with the idea of doing that with the existing Darsquare players, but it's important. I don't know them. I don't know what their needs are. I don't know their fitness levels. I, I, so it was, it, you know, I, I canned it. I thought, no, I better not. I, I just want to wait until I can meet them physically um, and then do something um, from, from there. Then I can start structuring, Paul and I can start structuring the, the, the plan. Um, but the, the benefit from the negative situation is the fact that we're going to have this this extended period to to prepare so it's like a, a an extended pre-season so so we can uh, well we all say that depending on when we go back no one knows when we're going to go back but but on a positive if we can go back around sort of march time and um, you know we, we've got a good run in and and maybe we, we have a little break in in the summer if players don't want to have a break at all we tick them over with one session so I'm looking on that score. I'm, I'm I'm thinking let's get the training, get the lads to understand our training methods, uh, get get everyone you know to know each other, to bond. So use the time to capitalise on that sort of thing. Maybe if we can fit a trip in somewhere, you know, Paul Paul's as I said from Manchester, he's connected with great a foot, great football community. We could maybe take the lads up there. Um, you know, if if we can pull a rabbit out of the hat what better way to get a squad together and take them out to Spain for three or four days. You know, it, people may listen to this and go, oh, you know, they're, they're, it's all pipe dreams. But listen, it, we've done it. We've done it with teams. You know, we take them over there regularly. It's like our second home. And I think if you don't think like that, you know, Stuart and, and the guys, the board are very ambitious. Well, you know, if you think big, then you can get big. But I'm not trying to say we've got to do everything right over the top. But, Little things to get this, to get the ball rolling, get the people, the players motivated. Um, and our first priority would just be to get them enjoying their training, enjoying playing. And of course, then we want to we want to play well. Paul and I, 
you know, we always set our teams up to play well. But and then if we win, hopefully it's a consequence of playing well. Um, but like I said, we can't we can't shoot a mosquito with a cannon. So we've got to see what we've got um, and then cut our coat according to that cloth, so to speak. Um, and and. I've, I've never heard that saying before, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> no, the shooting a mosquito over cannon. That's one, this, this guy, Raymond, because uh, I'll be honest with you, I was, uh, last year I was a bit frustrated working with a squad and and also with, uh, you know, uh, with my coaches, I was a bit worried and, and I spoke to uh, to Raymond I studied with and he said it to me, he said, look, I, I really admire what you're doing. Bearing in mind this guy, you know, he works with, with Champions League coaches, Premier League coaches, uh, top European coaches. So the people I train with and I study with are all from this kind of background. Um, and obviously, you know, they're, they're, I live in Cobham. So I'm five minutes from Chelsea's training ground. It's a big difference to training a pro player there to, to what we're going to be doing at Dial Square. But I, although I've got the knowledge, I haven't got the time with them or possibly even the facilities with them. So that's what he was saying is, you know, rein it in a little bit so you know work work out what you can do with them and what is what what is appropriate if you try and do it all then you're you're trying to shoot the mosquito with a cannon which is is, is quite apt really so uh, he, he calmed me down basically because the excitement <laughs> and that can get, get you carried away sometimes and and then that can lead to frustration and it's not the player's fault it's uh you know it's it's you've always got to look at yourself first as the coach and and then and then after that, once if you're happy that you've done everything right, um, and quite often it's, it is with you because if you've not planned something or you've not um, given something the proper attention, you know it's very easy to blame players. But the first thing is to look at yourself. And generally speaking, it, it's nine times out of ten the finger will point at you because you didn't get something wrong. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um... I was, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna ask a question about the impact of COVID, but Paul's already, already touched on that already, and you touched on that as well, Andy. Um, but talking about, you know, recruiting players, how how difficult is it at this level? I mean, especially with all the restrictions in place and players, at, a lot, of, well, nearly all of the players at this level have yeah. full time jobs as well. It's a, it must be, it, it is. must be it, quite it's, difficult. It's to... really contacts. It's contacts and whatever relationships you you've got with players. You know, the the non league circuit is 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 like that. Um, and you know we've got a few lads. When when uh, Stuart put out all the social media on on, on our appointment, um, uh, it was it was great because people picked up on it, picked up on on our Twitter and our Facebook and everything, you know. And and, and one or two lads who, funny enough, I, I was going to be knocking on their door, had sort of come back, come via social media, sort of saying, "Listen, if you if you've got room for a little overweight one who, who's got a brain but can't run anymore and stuff like that." But I know these lads are still are still players, you know, at at the level that we're having to start at because we have to we have to face facts. We're, we're starting at that level. That's that's where we have to be, and and you know we'll do our best to to to, to you know get ourselves promoted as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, recruiting's hard because we know quite a few players, but all we can do is phone a match and can't give them any more information. So it's a, it's almost a waste of time because they're basically going, yeah, yeah, we're interested. Let us know, um, and you know we've got we've even had um, other people phone us up and say, look, you know maybe we can, which has been brilliant because we know people in the game. The game, look, we've got an overspill of players. 
Um, so if you need players, let us know because it's a chance for players to, to play. And that's how we'll probably recruit. You know, um, uh, I worked at Stainstown for a long time at their academy with two of my, my closest pals there. Um, they've now, uh, because unfortunately, Stain's fantastic club, but um, went into a complete mess, which is quite sad. So they had to move the academy. And then now, now the academy's running out of bed front. Um, it's with Kingston College. So, you know, a lot of those boys, don't. if they don't push on, we'll have access to them. We've got some, you know, good players at, uh, at Leatherhead, at the 18s. If they can't push on, I've got, we've got access to, to them. There's, there's so many young players. Um, I mean, you, you're, really, you're really into your football, Ash, and you're probably aware of this. Um, you know, in our day, we were playing men's football at, at sort of 15, 16. We were playing men's football as well as our junior football. And we never gave up. We never stopped playing. The dropout now is horrendous. It's horrendous. There's, there's loads of lads out there that get to 18, 19 and drop out of football, um, which is which is absolutely mental. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because we've got a, a very good, a strong link with the, with youth players, uh, uh, we're, we're pretty confident and we'll get some of them up. And it's a great platform for them to break themselves into senior football rather than rather than go somewhere and just sit on a bench and, and, and run around, um, you know, in training, but not actually get any games. So, uh, first first point though is we've got to see who's there. We've got to see what 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 players are, existing players are, are there. Who wants to stay? You know, it's wrong for us to assume that everyone's going to stay because football as it is, when 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 new faces come in, some some don't want to be there. You know, some some may follow the old managers, and that's the that's the nature of football. So first of all, we've got to see who's there, uh, who who wants to give it a go. When they do, if they're happy with us uh, and and they're good enough. They stay. Uh, if they're not, then we go out and recruit. And um, you know, as soon as we can get back on there and get people down, then we'll have a, a, a clearer, clearer picture. Um, so. Definitely, yeah. Um, there's that look really good on the club as well, in my opinion. With uh, these lads that you know do want to drop out of football, and there's, there's somewhere there they can go and, and you know carry on playing and getting yeah. nurtured and getting better and better and better. So. You know, that'll look good on yourselves, that'll look good on the club, and obviously they're getting to play as well, not having to drop out the game. And, you know, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's all very, very positive stuff. Um, I'm going to ask you both this question now. Um, I'll start with you, Paul. What would you say your your major qualities are um, in coaching? Everyone, you know, everyone coaches and manages players differently, but what would you say is your, is your best asset? I'd say my, mine, I, I mean, me and Andy work together as a, as a team, Um as yeah. you know, and the way we complement each other is, I I tend to I tend to take a backwards seat. Um, I don't I don't do much talking. Um, you probably you probably sussed it that Andy's the talker out of, out of the two <laughs> of us. Um, but but I I just like to sit back and and watch the game, watch the game unfold, and then you know be the one that gives Andy the tap on the shoulder to say, "Have a little look over there. This is happening over there." It's almost being that second pair of eyes. In, in the team, um, which when you're working as a team, it obviously allows you to do, allows you to do that because Andy's concentrating on one thing and it means that I can just sit back and concentrate on another. But even when it is just me on my own um, coaching, I think it's just that ability to just step back and and see the and see the wider picture, see see the pitch and see what's going on um, and adapt uh, accordingly or at least drop it in. That this might need to happen or that might need to happen to make it change. That's what fascinates me about the game. 
Um, just those subtle changes that you can make that make such a big difference that some people don't notice, um, but you notice. And and that gives you the satisfaction when you see something come off that you've seen and then you've implemented and then and then it comes off. That that that's what gives me the most fulfilment out of Yeah, hundred percent. Um and also just touching back on your your point about you like to be the one that takes a step back. Um it's the old saying or the old cliche, isn't it? You know, of all good number ones, there's always there's always a an amazing number two just behind them, you know. You as a I'm gonna use I'm gonna use basketball as an analogy here. Um uh, uh, without without Scotty Pippen, would Jordan been this great? <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's just an example I'm going to use. Uh, but I think that's probably the best example I could think of. You know, straight away. But yeah, it 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 goes throughout life, really. Same companies and all sorts. You've always got to have a good number two, um, which make, makes a team work better and as stops clashing and stuff like that as well. In, in my opinion. Um, and what about yourself, yeah, Andy? On Paul, I think he's, he, he, we are one or two, but I see us as as one. Uh, you know, I, the boys that we we manage, you know, now they're going to be the Dark Square team. We work just, we're, we're like a one, although we're a pair, we're one. And we, we do have a fantastic understanding. It's so often I'll go to say something to Paul and, and, and he's just about to say it to me or vice versa. We we, we, we see things very, very similarly. We, we rely on each other a lot. Um, I... I I'm lost at games sometimes if he's not there when we're taking teams. You know, the, the journey we had on futsal was, I think, probably where we realised that, that we could do really well as, as a pairing. You know, we won three three uh, UK national championships um, at futsal. Um, and, you know, working as a pair in that, you know, it's quite frenetic futsal. It's quite crazy. I've, and I've, we won the uh, St Mary's University, I think, two years running unbeaten. Um and I wouldn't have been able to do that without Paul, and, and he probably wouldn't have been able to do it without me. Well, the futsal, to be honest, he probably could have done because he's got he's got great knowledge on futsal. Um, but I I think with with mine, it's a it's a hard one because it's something that with something like that, I always look at other people to to sort of come out with that because I could say something, and I know that a, a, maybe a player that I coach would phone up and go, "No, he's lying," <laughs> but. But that's football. But I just <laughs> say it's my passion. I think uh, I've got vast, vast experience and, and great knowledge, which I constantly, constantly um, add to. You know, if, if I showed you that, if, if this was a Zoom call and I showed you the books that I'm currently studying, it would blow your mind. And funny enough, you just mentioned Scotty Pippen and, and Michael Jordan. Well, well, I'm an addict to Phil Jackson. and I'm just about to finish the second book, 11 Rings. I've finished Sacred Hoops. They're my reference books are called, uh, together with Legacy. And there's there's stuff in these books which will definitely help the Dial Square um, culture, as we talked about earlier on. But you're right. I mean, number two, you've you got to have them. you, you just got to have them. Because also, and funny enough, when we had the Zoom call yesterday with the board, I, or Friday, sorry, I put it out. I headed the meeting as Dial Square meets Clough and Taylor. Um, and... You know that's how I that's how I, that's how I see me and Paul. <laughs> uh, but we have a giggle. We have a, you have to have a giggle, and and that's the most important thing I think. The banter, um, the players, uh, the players. If the players buy you, it it doesn't matter what you know really. Uh, I mean, the best coach I, I know, who, who inspired me, um, is one of my closest mates, and he's he's probably not as qualified as I am now, but. Um, I say to everybody, if I'm 10% the coach he is, then I'm doing all right. Um, because I just see our players buy him, how they play for him. And that's the art of coaching. 
I think if you if your players buy you and you have that connection and uh, you know to the to the most part, Paul and I have, have had that. Uh, I'm sure there's players that uh, probably want to throw a bucket or maybe worse over me, but that's going to happen in life anyway. You can't please everybody, um, but I, I'm pretty happy that most of the players we work with we were affected like in a positive way and would love playing for us. So um, yeah, I'd say my passion. Um, yeah, definitely. I can tell by your passion, uh, Andy, especially as well, you studying all those books as well. Uh, in, in any game that you want to be great at, they say you've got to be absolutely obsessed with it. And I think I think you are. And I think that, that's, a, that's a very good trait, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, if you've got, you know, you've got to be obsessed with what you're doing to be to be yeah. successful. That's just that's just my opinion. I Probably our listeners well, probably think the same. So, no, no, um, I reference a hell of a lot of things, but yeah, you, go on. Yeah, you've made, you've made something pop up with me there, and uh, you love football. And anyone listening, um, I didn't mention it to the board, but on on Amazon, there's a great documentary called The Three Kings, and and anyone who loves football, like we all do, uh, I would strongly advise you to watch that. That's on on Bill Shankly, Jock Steen, and Matt Busby, and and. They all came from within a 30-mile radius of, of, of the area in Scotland, you know. And as an example, Jock, Jock Steen, I think, was in the mines at 14 years old. But watch that, and it, it will almost encapsulate everything we've spoken about, um, I would say, on, on, on this podcast. It is what football's all about um, and what those, what those three men. Oh, watch it, watch it. I'm, and when I'm definitely going to watch that. I'll be surprised if you don't say it to me, Ed. That was brilliant, mate. Um, but uh, yeah, de- definitely have, have a look at that. Um, yeah, I will do. Well, Jock Steen was the one that That's said originally right. that football yeah. without fans is is not football. It's it's not worth it. He was he was one of the original, which obviously is coming to the fore now. Um, so much. Yeah. But everything they did, everything the three of them did, was all for the fans. Always. Yeah, all Scottish guys as well. Dial Square was started by a, a Scotsman from Burnt Island as well. For for those listeners that don't know where the where it's actually from, so yeah, it must something about Scotland with mm. producing great managers and and stuff. I don't know what, but you know, um, Ferguson yeah. as well. You know, you can, the list is endless. So, um, talking about uh, fan ownership. Uh, Paul, how far can you see the club going off the pitch in regards to fan ownership with more and more people walking away from the mega money of the Premier League? Well, I mean, all the money and everything else that aren't agreed that's in the game, it's lending itself to what we're doing. It's lending itself to to things similar to Dar Square. Um, And really, the limit's endless with how far it can be taken because the more people that get behind it, they see the passion. You get to see what it's all about. Um, I mean, we've touched on Berry a few times during this, and Berry was Berry was my hometown club. Growing up, my mum mum was there every single game. My brother in law played for them, um, and we was just there the whole time. And I went back not long ago, well, a few years ago, and went and watched a game while I was up in up in Manchester. And do you know what? The same person was selling the programs from when I was a kid. The same person when you went in to get a cup of tea um, in the little shack underneath the stand, same person that was serving behind the counter there. That's unheard of now in the game. You, you know, those people that put their time and effort in to, you know, the, the woman who was serving the teas in the, underneath the stand, she don't see any of the football. 
because she's stuck under the stand. But every single game she's there, and I'm talking like over a 20 year, 30 year span from when I first went to when I was, I went last. And, and all of that's starting to disappear slowly and it's sad. And I think people want that. You know, you mentioned the, the romance of it. And I think that can come back with fan ownership because when you feel like you've got a little part of it, like the shirt, the shirts that we're going to be wearing next season, voted for by the fans. And even when the vote doesn't quite go your way, it goes someone else's way. At least you've had a say. And I think with the way that the game's going, it can just keep going and keep going and keep going. And we can keep growing and growing. Um, probably the most important thing for us where we are in our journey is, and one of the longer term aims, is finding a home, um, which obviously we don't have at the minute with a ground share and finding a base that we can have where we can start to implement a youth section and things like that that can really grow the club in, into something. But that is quite key in, in doing that. And moving back towards London, um, from out in Surrey, where you, you know where it's got that connection to the to the original Dial Square and everything else like that. That's that's only going to help what we're trying to achieve and and get more people involved. And and if the success comes on the pitch while it's coming off the pitch, then then let it grow. You know, it'd be it's just blank canvas, great fun. And, and really exciting to be involved in. That's it. I mean, I've said on many shows before, um, I've, speaking to, I've spoken to a lot of uh, people that are associated with fan-owned clubs in, in the past, and it really is the way forward. You know, everyone, as you said about people getting a vote, it's a proper democracy. Look, if, you, if the vote don't go your way, as you said, you know, at least, it, it, you, know you, at least you have had a say, unlike if you go... Uh, you know, does anyone have a say at the board meeting in a board meeting at the Emirates anymore? Of course they don't. Or Old Trafford or Anfield? Of course they don't. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not, you don't feel part of your club. People are so detached, and this is why this is a great thing about Dial Square Football Club. People can come along, pay the, the membership each season, and have their say and feel part of something. And, and as you said about the blank canvas as well, it's the best time to do it. Um, finally, a bit a bit of fun. The formal the formal stuff's over. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll start with you, Andy. Um, just a just a brief one. Have you have you got any good or funny dressing room stories from years gone by where you've played or coached? It could be absolutely anything on the pitch in the dressing room. Just one story oh, well, that you've got uh, on top of your head. Few, but there's there's many that I couldn't hear. <laughs> um, but I I would say uh, <laughs> I mentioned actually earlier on um, that my a close pal of mine. Uh, Mark Fabian, uh, he's known as Fabes, as everybody in football knows him. Um, and funny enough, uh, for many years, uh, I had a clothes shop in Kingston and people would come in and say, God, you've got a double out there, you know, or I had wine bar as well after that. And people go, oh, you've got a double out there. And unbeknown to me, this, this guy, Mark Fabian, was getting the same thing, people saying that to him. And, and lo and behold, one day this fellow walks in my shop and I, we looked at each other and... and it was just, it was like face off, you know, the film face off. And he's, he's in, he's in football kit. And he says, you got to be Andy Massiel. I said, you got to be Mark Fabian. And we just cracked up. And I started taking my boy to his soccer school and stuff. And that's when it, it started to, to tickle me. And I thought, what a way this guy's got, he's got such a great way of, with these players, with his kids and what a way to earn a living. And then I just got to know him more and more. And, and as luck would have it, as I cracked on, I, I was working at Crystal Palace 
wasn't particularly happy and um, I got a phone call from him and he said, hey, what, what are you up to? And I said, well, I'm at Palace, but I'm going to be jacking it in and just sticking to my own thing. And he went, oh, I could do with you over at Staines. So it was brilliant because he was a guy that inspired me. We ended up working together at Staines and he, we are twins, and but there's no blood relation whatsoever. And the funniest thing we did, and we still do it now, we, we did it at, at Leverett the other day when Bedfront came down and they played all the shot and he met early and, and I these boys went into changing them and I went in and did the team talk. It took about five minutes to work out it wasn't him. Um, and that's what happened. We, we were He had Staines, I had Carl Shorten Athletic um, and he came over to War Memorial Ground early um, and the, the lads were, were sort of ushered into their changing rooms and we swapped tracksuits and we went into each other's changing rooms and started to and, and the boys, they still laugh because it, <laughs> it took literally about a minute or two for the boys to actually work it out and one of them in the stains dressing, who I ended up actually going to working with after a few years, but he's gone. You ain't face, but bloody hell, you his brother or what? Even Rod Stewart, we played. Mark used to play for Rod Stewart's side for years, and um, um, he he knows how much I love Gordon Strachan, and and Gordon Strachan was was playing for him, and he was going up to take over Celtic, so he took me up there to watch the game, and after the game we. we Rod Stewart used to say, still go to a local pub near his house after the game. And, and he just said to me, mate, you have got to be his brother, ain't you? And I said, no, I'm not. Uh, and he just wouldn't believe it. But we still, well, Paul will tell you, I mean, everywhere we go, we have a wind-up on it. But that was one of the funniest things, just seeing these boys. They, they couldn't they couldn't believe it. Even the referees thought, hang on, are you, are you should, should you two be on the same side or what? We're in separate dugouts having a pop at each other. Um, but, yeah. That that was one of the funniest, and we still milk it now on that one. And I don't know if he's listening. I'll probably text him tomorrow, and he might listen to this, and he'll have a giggle about it as well. Yeah, oh, well, he, he was, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google him when we when we come off air. Was, I'm gonna I'm gonna I've got I'm intrigued now. I've got to see it for myself. Uh, he put something out last week about him, and um, saying you know what this this man helped me in my football, made me think about football totally differently, and. And one of our pals, he, he's assistant manager, uh, Jim, who's, who's, who's an ex. So they're both ex top players. And Jim put out there, no, that's not that's not faith. Let's go for go Andy. And then this thread started, and I put a picture of the, me and him up there. So it's only last week. If you if you follow us, you'll actually see what I mean. There's a picture of both of us up there. Uh, but yeah, quite funny. <laughs> 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 what about yourself, Paul? Anything, mate? Sorry. Oh, follow that again. Um, now, pro- mine was mine was probably when I was playing well. Talking about fan ownership, I wasn't actually playing on this one. I um, met a man used to run a Saturday team um, as the manager because he couldn't he could no longer play anymore. So we we were young lads at the time, and he he took a Saturday team and all quite decent players. And we used to have this thing in the we used to play in the Manchester League, and there was a, there was a competition that the pre, it was a pre-season competition, but the final was a semi-final and finals at the end of the season. So instead of playing pre-season friendlies, you played an actual league structure. Now I played for him in the pre-season, so I've played in the league and in the three games, and we managed to get to the semi-finals. But since the start of the season, I've left and gone to Nelson, so I'm playing for Nelson. They're in the semi-finals towards the end of the season, and I'm in, I'm living in Preston at the time. And the semi-final was over at Rosendale, and you win the semi-final, you play the final. It's at Gig Lane, and the, my mate who ran the team, he was a massive Berry fan, 
So, of course, it's his dream to lead, walk a team out. It's, it's like, you know, like Shankly walking out at Wembley with Liverpool and and st- stuff. It was like him walking out at Gig Lane would be like that, like an iconic picture. I could see it in his head. So, he's got this semi-final at, at Rosendale and I'm living in Preston. I wasn't driving. And um, I was living with my, my now wife. Um, and... I, I, I says, come on, we'll go and watch. We'll go and watch this match. And I pick up my bag, my kit bag, in the hallway. She, she goes, if if that bag goes in the car, then I'm not getting in the car. So I said, no, no, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. But I'll <laughs> take it just in case, because because I've played in the pre-season, I'm eligible for the for the semi-final. And he has texted me during the day and said, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick your name down, but now I'm not allowed to take my kit bag with me. So, so we drive over to Rosendale and on the way, even a few of the boys are text and asked to pick up a few beers. So we've done that as well. So I'm in the ground and I am just a fan. I'm standing watching. It gets to nil-nil, gets to extra time and the players are dropping like flies. Um, and I have had a, I've had a couple of cans as well while we're watching the game and stuff with, with, with the boys and, and, and my missus as well standing there. I said, I'm just, I'm just going to go around and just just see Neil, just see how he's getting on. There's like <laughs> 10 minutes to go. So off I went, off I went round to the dugouts and I just tapped him on the shoulder and I, I said, look, I said, he goes, can can you go on? And one of the lads, Matty, he'd come off and he was a size 10. So so me and him, two minutes later, I'm, I've ran out of the changing room, met him outside the changing room, gone in, I've had to put his stinking kit on, his size 10 boots, even his shin pads, I've had, I've had to put on an how I come, and um, and yeah, so he brought me on for the last ten minutes. I only went and scored the winner, didn't I? Gave it the old down the touchline straight to him, jump on a massive pile on in front of the dugout, and off off we went to Gig Lane. And my missus is still standing over there with the boys, thinking where is this? You can't see me at the dugout anymore. But but I was actually on the pitch, so I got in and swapped swapped clothes. Found myself in the changing room afterwards, having a proper party and. I very nearly got on the coach back to back to the club with the boys to celebrate as well. But well, she wouldn't be my now wife, I reckon, if I'd have actually gone through and done that. So I got back in the sheepishly got back in the car and went home. But it was a That's it was brilliant. A crap. And then actually wrote myself onto the team sheet for the for the final as well at Gig Lane. But um, I was I was an unused sub, I think, in the in the final. The boys had a good day out. But yeah, so so it was good. He finally got his day out at Gig Lane and. And we had a good. A that good is absolutely week. brilliant. <laughs> um, look, that's that's non-league football. The listeners that aren't members yet. Come on, <laughs> yeah. this is this is a sort this is the sort of stories and, and journeys you're going to get. So non-league football is just hey, it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> um, guy, and we won't rule we won't rule them out putting them on the team sheet neither. If we're struggling any matches and we have got a good fan ownership, then we could <laughs> we, we yeah, could always yeah, name them on the team sheet. And if we've got any players, I'll bring there, my boots. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh God. Honestly, I have two left feet, me. You, know, you don't want me anywhere. You don't want me anywhere near that pitch. Put it that way. Right? Um, guys, it's been, you know, first ever episode. It's been great to to have you both on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, the listeners and uh, fan owners and potential fan owners as well. I'm going to say I'm going to be positive. People listening, and potential fan owners as well. Um, would have loved it as well thank guys you, thank you so much very, Andy thank you very much for coming on the show and, mate um, and hopefully we uh, we get to do it again but more more importantly won't we get to meet you down at the ground or the training ground or something yeah we 
Yeah, definitely. Paul, thanks a lot as well, mate, for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Ash. Been brilliant. And like like Andy says, hopefully the next time we're talking, we can talk about something that's actually gone on on a, right. on a pitch. Yeah, exactly. Us. And hope, hopefully I can uh, fly down from where I live to uh, to be down there at, at the first game back, um, oh, so to speak. Wow. It's a bit of a way. It's about seven oh. hours in a car for me. So, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, I, live, I live in Edinburgh. So, um, yeah, so I can, I can fly. I do, yeah. So I can fly. I'm going to fly down for the first game. And I'll get a, I'll get yeah, a catch up and a chat definitely. with you boys uh, That'd be great. at the and, game, and right? So because we get up there a bit. Paul, Paul, Paul's best friend's got a pub up there, isn't he, Paul? Connor. Yeah, he's got a few. Go on, do you know yeah. anyone? Quite, I know quite. Uh, you got, you got the kilted pig just outside of Edinburgh, yeah. um, which which is a good a good one, um, and then the took over the Scotsman. Yeah, the, I know it, yeah. Centre. Um yeah, and then and then he took they, they have took over another one as well recently, but obviously with everything that's going on in the pub trade and everything there, there's and no festival going on. Bless them, they're they're just trying to get yeah, uh, when you will happen. Edinburgh's always it a is, yeah. Well, when, when you're up here when you're up here just just let me know when you're yeah. coming up and when things are back to normal I'll come and uh, I'll come and meet you. Guys uh we are going to be on all the channels so we're on anchor spotify google and apple podcasts so apple podcasts and spotify and google it normally this podcast will normally after it's published will go on within 24 or 48 hours but if you want to hear it straight away just uh, sign up to anchor um but if you prefer to listen by spotify and, and apple podcasts you know just be about 24 hours or within 24 hours before it before it comes up so it will be there so don't worry about it um details of our next episode coming up can be found on the website or or the Twitter page, which is at Dial Square FC One. Please give the official Twitter page a follow, and please give the podcast page a follow as well at the Dialcast, which was uh, set up earlier today. If you haven't already, and please also you know give the Dialcast a retweet, and more listeners the merrier. Fan membership is still available at half price for the rest of the season. Goal membership is now down to sixty pound. We receive a nice little fancy shirt, scarf, pin badge. And a free boardroom experience for for when things are back to normal. Silver membership down to forty pound, and bronze uh, is just thirty pound. Remember, folks, no matter what membership you take out, everyone has exactly the same voting rights and is on an equal footing in regards to ownership. Yeah, Again, Andy, Paul, thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. Thank you. Cheers, and Ash. good luck at the club. We are all behind you. Cheers, Cheers guys. Thank You've been you. listening to the Dialcast. Thanks, everyone. You'll be hearing again from me very soon. Cheers!